Welcome to today's episode of the Money Mitch Effect. I'm your host, Mitch Michaels, and thanks for joining me on this sports podcast. You know why we're here to talk everything and anything sports. And I got a couple reoccurring familiar guests to do just that. First up, Joe Crisali, my former NFL network chum, to break down baseball. He's a very sharp baseball mind, and we're going to talk about all things going on in the Major League Baseball season. 100 games in, the Dodgers looking like they're unstoppable. Some contenders in the American League who are some, some pretenders in both leagues. And uh, the trade deadline, got to recap that as well. And next up after that, it will be Brett Connors to talk tennis, golf, football, basketball. We go all around the world. We got to talk Kyrie Irving. We talked Djokovic shutting it down. Jordan Speed's dominance. A lot of topics and some travel stories as well there. It's the Money Mitch Effect. And you know what it is? It's time to start the show. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, back again, baseball season at its peak, Joe Crisali, thanks for joining the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Love baseball. Yeah, I know. I, it's it's a great time for any true baseball fan. I mean, you would argue that because they're the uh, king of the mountain right now. I mean, the NBA is trying to gain attention any which way, it seems, but baseball, we're, we're at the... We're looking down towards the end of the regular season. All these teams have played over 100 games now. The trade deadline's passed. Joe, we're into August, and we're starting to see some semblance of some real contenders. I think it's a fun time of year, uh, especially, as you know, in the American League where it still looks pretty wide open. It definitely is wide open, especially after all these trades that just went down, you know. Someone's going to jump up. Hopefully it's the Yanks now that they're in first place. It's going to be interesting to see how the AOE shakes out, too, with the Red Sox. They didn't really make any crazy moves. I mean, they got Eduardo Nunez and Addison Reed, but they really needed a huge bat in that lineup. Like, losing David Ortiz's 40 home runs really hit them a lot harder than I think fans had anticipated. Their fans had anticipated, and uh, the Rays are surging. The Orioles seem to be somewhat of sellers, but they didn't really make any deals to mm-hmm. clarify that. And then you know, the AL Central with your Indians in there. There really isn't a contender other than them and maybe the Royals. The Royals are starting to make a push, but that division has just been garbage. The the (laughs) Twins were really good at the beginning of the season, and then now they kind of have just faltered off into the wayside. They they became sellers, too. Let's be fair, though. The AL West isn't anything to write about either. I'm I'm with you. The the East is, is holding the American League, you know, night and day right now with the other two, but the AL West has been equally, if not worse, in a lot of ways than the AL Central. I mean, you could argue that the top two, Cleveland, Kansas City, like who's the second best team in the AL West? Probably the Mariners. Mm. After some of the trades that they got, they got some pieces. I mean, they're not great pieces, yeah. but yeah. still no spot. The, the Rangers are far out. Like, no one really saw that coming this year with them. And the Astros, they're good. But they've they've fallen off a little bit with Carlos Correa's injury. He's going to be out for a while. They were on Dodgers-esque pace at a certain point, but now they're kind of they're still far ahead in the West. But yeah, like you said, it's the Astros and then no one else in the playoffs well, in the West. Before we get to the trade deadline, I just want to bring up one stat that I thought was interesting, Joe. AL East, a very good division, very top heavy. All those teams, Yankees, Red Sox included, losing records on the road. So that's interesting. I thought that was a fascinating stat. It is, for sure. I mean, 
Was that with teams? That was with any away away game. Right? Yeah, yeah, any away game. So it's something that you know you usually expect to see teams play better at home. But you look at like Yankees and Red Sox, both about ten nine games above five hundred, have been great at home this year. Yankees, especially thirty two and eighteen but just 25 and 29 on the road. So it's something that you expect young teams to have some difficulty with, but I think that's going to be the determining factor in just how good this this year's Yankees team is. Can they win some big games on the road as we approach the fall? Yeah, I definitely would say that's a question with the young players traveling out with those long road trips. Like Right after the All-Star break, they had that West Coast road trip, and they were traveling all around over, over here, and... Uh, they didn't fare too well. I think they lost seven or eight games in a row. They were trying to find their identity. But like you said, as soon as they got home, they, they turned it right back around. When they acquired Frazier and Canely and Robertson for the White Sox, that really kind of threw some life into them. And when they got home, Frazier's been producing. Canely has been lights out. Robertson hasn't really got to pitch very much because he's more of a back-end type of guy. And they have any any pitcher really in the Yankees – lineup they can make it through four innings only four innings and the yankees have great pitchers that could outlast the rest of that game so yeah they're they're it'll it'll be cool they're a fun team to watch especially being ahead of the curve ahead of the pace that i think a lot of insiders and fans in general have set well let's look at the trade deadline joker selling money mitch effect it passed this year, and I'd say it was middle of the road in terms of just shock value. It, it wasn't a dud. It, there were moves to be made, but they weren't necessarily the biggest names and, and the biggest shocking uh, decisions to trade some of these players. But, Joe, what stands out to you? What were some of the moves that you look at and you thought, wow, this was a good decision to either buy or sell or, or just a, a head-scratcher that a player was dealt, uh, whether or not their asking price was high enough? Well, I guess there's a couple of those. I think the acquisitions for the Yankees to get Sonny Gray and the Dodgers to get Hugh Darvish are obviously the biggest the biggest ones, the biggest name value. Mm-hmm. But like you said, nothing was shocking because even trades like that, we all saw those coming. There was all sorts of talk of Gray going to the Yankees for a while. There was all sorts of talk of Hugh Darvish going to the Dodgers for a while. So we were kind of all just waiting, waiting for it to happen, refreshing Twitter, like, okay, that finally happened now. But also, I guess I'll start with the Sonny Gray trade. It makes total sense for, for the Yankees. Gray is 26, 27 years old. He's under team control until 2019 for a cheap, and he was the A's ace. So now the Yankees get that. They did give up Caprielian, mm-hmm. Fowler, and Mateo. Now, Caprielian hasn't, he got drafted in 2015 and he hasn't pitched a game. He's had two surgeries. You know, he's up in the air. They think he could be a top end starter, but I haven't seen him pitch an inning. So good riddance to him, I guess. I mean, good luck to him, but. I mean, Fowler was a great player, but he wasn't really a highly talked about prospect. And he came up, he had that disgusting knee injury in the top of the first inning in his first game against the White Sox. So there's that injury Mm -hmm. risk there. So they're both injury prone. And then Mateo, he had a serious attitude problem within the Yankees organization. Last year he was supposed to play in the Futures game, but he had complained and badmouthed to the Yankees organization that he hadn't been promoted from single A yet because they were seasoning him down there, and he, he badmouthed them, and he was talking a bunch of smack to them, mm. so they wouldn't let him play in the game. And he's been slowly, slowly moving up. He's only in double-A now, but he's 22 years old, and you'd think he would already be right. up in triple-A with the likes of like Torres and them, but he hasn't progressed as fast. He's just more of a base stealer. To me, he's an infield version of Billy Hamilton. Right. He steals he, a ton of bases, but he's, 
but he doesn't always get on base. I thought so, this was just a great Yankees, trade. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the acquisition for the Yankees because you, you're, you previewed it well. They didn't give up one of their best prospects. or, or None of these guys are that complete top blue chipper. I mean, I don't think any of them are ranked in the top 75 I want to say, and yeah. for a guy like Gray, I think this felt a little desperate from Oakland. It was a great move by the Yankees, able to acquire this guy without giving up that much. But I, I thought Oakland didn't didn't really ask for enough for a guy as good as Gray. Yeah, I mean the fact that the Yankees they got away with a guy who's under team control for cheap and he's young in Gray and has been pretty good. He's he's uh, I think he's third since in, since the All Star break in ERA, so he's been pitching really well. And the Yankees just got him for, granted, two first, or Mateo they signed from international pool money. And the Yankees have been good finding those types of players. But like like I said, they didn't even give up Floreal, who the A's wanted. They didn't give up Frazier, Torres. They didn't give up Sheffield or any of those guys. But, I mean, these players are still good players. Like the Oakland A's didn't make, make out with nothing. They're still first-round picks and good players. Mm-hmm. But I think Sonny Gray really gives the Yankees that extra energy. The other player that they acquired, Garcia, Jaime Garcia. Yeah. That was the trade that that I didn't get was him being traded to the Twins from the Braves and the and the Twins giving up prospects to the Braves. And then the Twins less than a week later deciding, you know what, we're going to be sellers now and then trading him to the Yankees. But that didn't it I didn't get it because the Twins were like, "All right, we're going to we're going to get this fourth or fifth starter from the from the Braves. We're going to give up a couple prospects and it's going to be good." The guy made one start in Twins <laughs> uniform. And then he got traded to the Yankees. So I just, that one was a little bit of a head scratch for me. And then they traded their closer away, Brandon Kinsler, to the Nationals for next to nothing. So, I don't know. And I think that the the Dodgers, well, for yeah. you Darvish, they I got mean, away. I mean, that was highway robbery. That, so the Dodgers are, are, Joe, what are they, 35-8, and eight, I think, in their last 43? Something just stupid like that. Yeah. So they obviously yeah. understand that this is it. Like, this is the window. They might never have a team this good in an individual season. And they went for it. But, again, it's similar to Gray. Everybody, like you said, knew that these guys were on the trade deadline, trade block in Darvish. The Dodgers were a suitor. I got to think you could ask yep. for a little bit more than this, right? The only reason that the Dodgers didn't give up their best prospect in Verdugo in the trade was because, unlike Gray, Darvish's contract is up at the end of the season, so it's a, it's a rental for the Dodgers because I think that they got him to solidify that, obviously to solidify that rotation with Kershaw being down with that back injury. But when Kershaw comes back, you have Kershaw, Darvish, Hill, Wood, like that. That is as solid as a solid staff. Yeah. And the Dodgers did it without giving up their best prospect in Alex Verdugo. So you got to you got to give it up to them. I don't know what the Rangers were thinking. I think they just wanted to get rid of him because they knew that he was going to walk because their team is starting to go down the tank and they they got what they could for him. I mean, Calhoun is no bad prospect, but right. he's yeah. not like the quality of Verdugo is. Yeah, the Rangers have been a disappointment this year. Uh, a couple other deals uh, that I want to just bring up quickly, Joe, is that Another team that I got completely wrong was the uh, Kansas City Royals. They're sticking with it. You know, the Indians go on that big, you know, eight-game win streak, but they don't gain any ground because the Royals go on a nine-game win streak. But they get Melky Cabrera, and I know he's not at his best, but this is a team in the Royals that are still they're still somewhat going for it. And, and I, I ask you this question, Joe. We talked about this last time, how just poor, how empty that cupboard in the minor league is. Are you surprised that Kansas City's still acquiring bats, uh, giving up some things? to make a little bit of a push here? 
I'm definitely not surprised because they're not giving up huge names. They're not making giant trades. They're not even acquiring big names. They're doing what they did when they won a couple of years ago. They're acquiring players that are a little bit older. They're a little like more seasoned, not entirely in their prime, but they still they still have the staff and they still get the job done. Like they traded for Trevor Cahill and Brandon Maurer from the Padres, and they haven't been great. But the, then again, they're still good players, and they're on the Padres, and they run the Padres, and they'll they'll come in, win some games. That's just the way that the Royals do it. They don't <laughs> they don't go after the Sunny Grays. They don't go after. Yeah. The U Darvishes, they go after the Trevor Cahills, the Melky Cabreras, because they just want guys that can fill their needs and fill those those little extra spots in, in their lineup and in their their roster. Yeah, that was uh, that was an interesting trade, I thought, and also another guy this time at the deadline, Jonathan Lucroy on the Rockies, who the Rangers, as we mentioned, big sellers, they wanted to get rid of uh, whoever was out there that they could move. And looking at it, the Rockies still very much in that wild card picture, holding down one of the two spots right now. They needed a catcher. You know, look at the stats right now, and their catcher is hitting about 259. So this could be promising. They didn't really give up much. It was a player to be named later. So why not take a flyer on Luke? I, I think the biggest winner of this trade is the Cleveland Indians because last year at the deadline, the Cleveland Indians were rumored to be the team that were going to land Luke Roy. Mm-hmm. But the Brewers, in return, wanted their number one prospect and probably the best catching prospect in all of baseball, Francisco Mejia. Mm-hmm. But no, but they didn't want to give him up because they didn't know what Luke Gray was going to do. So good for them for not doing that because he came over. He's on the Rangers. On the Rangers, he hit like what two twenty, has like seven homers, twenty mm-hmm. ribbies for the whole season, yeah, he's which struggling. is absolutely terrible. So the Rockies get him for next to nothing. They they said for a player to be named later, which means it's probably going to be a draft pick because they can't announce those until after the World Series is over. So they're probably going to get Luke Roy for someone who's going to turn out to be like a lower level prospect. Yeah, no, I just I think that it's worth the gamble because I I, I think it might just be a bad year. I think he could help them. I mean, they've already got a pretty good team. Uh, the one thing I will say though, Joe, is that. The Indians are the winner in that situation, but I still feel like there's some things that they could do uh, behind the plate. I'm still just not really satisfied with Jan Gomes that much as he continues to hit 225. So it's not like they won it by having a, a good catcher in return. They just didn't give up their best prospect. Yeah, which which will allow them to bring him up, and then, then that mm-hmm. 220 that they're getting from Jan Gomes right now is going to be way better. I mean, he had, what, a 50... So did he beat DiMaggio's record in the minors? I don't remember. I don't th- I but he had like a 50-something game yeah. history. Yeah, it's incredible. But look, I, I think both of these teams uh, in the Indians and Rockies perspective are, are starting to understand that you just take flyers on guys like these and you make the... the you don't want to give up too much. You want to mortgage the future. Even the Yankees, too, understanding that as well. well all right, Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect. Let's just talk about some of the other baseball storylines at the post-100 game mark. We talked about the Dodgers. I mean, what they're doing is just frightening. You know, at at 74 and uh, 31 right now, which is on pace for one of the best seasons ever in the history or the history of regular season baseball. Eight game winning streak. Kyle Farmer is the latest guy to hit a walk off. These guys have been the kings of walking off games. First at bat. First at bat. You know, he's sleeping on an air mattress in Oklahoma City one week. Next week, he's hitting a walk off on Sunday Night Baseball. 
But Joe, I got to ask you, are there flaws? Are there things that could be the end of the Dodgers that could doom them down the road? Because right now, they look clearly like the best team in baseball. But they haven't won a World Series in 30 years. So I'm asking you, do you think this is going to be a championship-type season or more tears for the Dodger faithful? I mean, they have the team to, for it to be a championship-type season. you got to give kudos to them for sticking it out with those young players, bringing up Bellinger and Seager. And those guys, like they really turned out to be top players in the league so as long as those guys keep doing what they're doing and they don't falter off which they haven't at all the entire season and like justin turner is hitting like an absurd like 360 on the season yeah. out of nowhere and they're doing it with guys that like they're putting the chris taylor comes up and he just turns out he's hitting 300 and even kike hernandez coming off the bench he's got like 10 12 home runs everyone is contributing for them everyone is playing well like if you're a fantasy baseball player you, and you need a spot start, you just pick up someone from the Dodgers rotation. <laughs> yeah. They're going to get a win, you know? And then if it gets into the bullpen, like they just traded for Tony Watson, who's going to come at the back end and help out with Kenley Jansen, who's a dominant closer. So there really aren't many holes on this team. They have a bunch of guys that can plug and play and put in other positions. And you never know. Sometimes they have Chase Utley playing second base, and they still win games. So. <laughs> well, if Kershaw's health holds up, that's, to me, the only thing I could even see on the surface. You never know with back injuries. Uh, but, I mean, he's been incredible this year when he's pitched. So I, I don't know who can really I don't know who can really beat them in a series. You know, I'm looking at the formula that works, and it's usually heavy pitching, get to the bullpen, have a couple arms you trust, and timely hitting. The one thing I will say, though, we haven't seen these teams. We haven't seen this team with all these young players, uh, including the Bellinger edition, deep into a postseason. You don't know if the bats might go quiet like the Red Sox did a year ago. So I'm just I'm really searching because they look hands down like the best team in the National League. And oh, by the way, the other team that's above uh, a 600 win percentage, the Nationals, have one of the worst bullpens in baseball. So it's hard for me to find that next team. I guess maybe the Cubs, if they get hot, could be that team. Yeah, I mean, the Cubs, you can't really ever count them out. But uh, like you said, the Nationals, I think, are the only other team that could make a run against the Dodgers. But like you said, their bullpen is iffy at best. And they did just trade for a bunch of bullpen pieces, but they traded for a bunch of average bullpen pieces yeah. like Ryan Madsen, Sean Doolittle, and uh, Brandon Kinsler from the Twins. So they just basically just traded for a bunch of so-so closers and hope that they're just going to mesh and hold out the back end of that bullpen. But I just I don't know if that's going to happen, especially because their starting rotation hasn't been super great. I know Gio Gonzalez almost threw no hitter the other night, but aside from him pitching really well this year, Roark has not been great. Scherzer has been an ace, of course, but other than Scherzer, it's kind of an iffy for them. So, And their roster has been muddled with injuries. Like They made that Adam Eaton trade at the beginning of the season. He hasn't played at all, mm-hmm. and they got good win in center field. Um, Harper's having probably the best season I've ever seen him have so there's there's that too but I just don't know if they have what it takes to beat beat the Dodgers when it really counts especially with what the Dodgers bring to the table yeah that Nationals Cubs potential first round matchup could be really really exciting but yeah it looks like it's the Dodgers and everybody else uh but one last thing on the National League Joe are we ready to just call our shot and say both NL West wildcard spots for Nash for uh, Diamondbacks and Rockies or is there anybody else that can make it interesting. I don't, man, I don't know, because those two teams are really, really good this year. They're up by quite a bit, too. How many, so. And how many wins would they have if they didn't have to play the Dodgers this many times, too? Yeah, I know. That's 
that's what that's what the crazy part is. Like you take the Dodgers losses out of there, they're first place teams if they were in like any other division. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think... see. I just don't see like the Brewers taking. I don't see the Brewers no. or the Cubs or the Cardinals or any other of those other teams. And there's really no one in the East that the NL East that's going <laughs> to no. take oh, that God, no. second wild card wild card spot. So yeah, I think the Phillies got eliminated off as Diamondbacks, Rockies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I and between those two teams. As biased as I was to pick Colorado early in the season, Arizona looks to me like a more complete team when I just use the eye test. It's harder to explain, but I think I trust their pitching a little more. They're not as flashy, but between those two teams, I'm favoring Arizona a little bit more. Yeah, I might have to go the other way. Arizona, they haven't been great lately, and as little as this will sound, Chris Owings, he's been one of their great versatile players was hitting 280 12 stolen bases double digit dingers 50 or so ribbies mm-hmm. he was a big part of the productive part of their lineup and he's probably out until if they make the playoffs so that could be the falter point of them while meanwhile the rockies are bringing in guys like jonathan lucroy to help solidify their team they have players who have been contributing all season long like obviously arenado who could possibly be the mvp has been amazing mark reynolds out of nowhere hitting probably going to finish with 30 plus stingers guys like gerardo para who the last two months of the season has been hitting like 500 which is absolutely absurd <laughs> so and their pitching has been really really good for most of the season they've been getting production out of young guys like kyle freeland john gray has pitched really well i think freeland has like 11 or 12 wins so yeah they've they've been getting it done I think it's a toss-up. I think it's going to be interesting to see how these teams progress. Um, but, hey, you know what? Also, in, in this might be the Dodgers' downfall or only potential downfall, is having to probably play one of these guys in the NLDS. So somebody that knows them, I would say maybe it might be their toughest uh, challenge before they get to uh, a potential World Series. So we'll have to see. But it's been remarkable what the Dodgers have done with all that young talent and uh, with the pitching that they have. But I do want to talk about the American League before we wrap this up. Joker Sally, Money Mitch Effect. The Astros are 69-36 and 36 on the season. An incredible league best, 38-15 and 15 on the road. Just remarkable what they've been able to do there. But there have been some vulnerabilities. It's not like the Dodgers. We can kind of see what's going on here. Correa's been injured. And some of the starting pitching has been injured and ineffective as well for Houston. I know they're the best team in the American League by a considerable margin right now, but do you, do you feel good about this team going into the playoffs, especially having missed it a year ago? I don't, like I said before. Um, but I was worried about with the Dodgers is them having those young players start to fall off and not produce towards the end of the season, which they are not doing at all. Meanwhile, the Astros have those young players that are faltering off towards the end of the season, and they aren't playing as well. And they don't—the guys that were contributing at the beginning of the season aren't contributing anymore. Young guys like Bregman, who had a Twitter fight with—he messaged some dude on Twitter because he said he wished that they traded him for Chris Sale, and he and, and uh, Bregman reached out to that guy to badmouth him, making giving him a bad look. And like you said, Korea went down, or Correa went down, and then guys like Marwin Gonzalez, who at the beginning of the season was like, everyone's like, who's this guy? What's he doing? Hitting dingers, driving runs in, playing first, second, third, short, outfield. This guy probably hell even catch, but those guys just aren't doing it for them right now. Like Springer's been hurt. He was good all season, and then he got hurt. Their, their ace, Keichel, has been down for most of the time that they've been losing the game. So 
I just don't know if these guys come back. Say when they come back, they're you know they were injured. They might not be the same guys when they get back. Yeah, so, it's it's I a just, fair just, it's a fair question to ask. I, I don't know that they're going to be playing at that unsustainable level that they started the season at. I always wonder about pitching, especially because I feel like you have to be peaking going into the end. Now, the plus side is that they've built up enough uh, goodwill in the standings that they're not having to deal with that. AL Central NLE's champion, so it'd probably look like the winner of the wild card, but we know it's unpredictable there uh, as well. I I also think they're not really getting pushed in their own division. I don't know if that's going to hurt them in the long run, but you mentioned earlier, Joe, about how Seattle, the Angels, Rangers, and and A's are just all struggling. There really isn't anything for Houston to do right now and then wait around until the postseason. Yeah, they're not they're they're not playing well, but they're also not worried because the other teams behind them aren't really doing anything, so yeah, no, I, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I'm, there's a lot of uh, red flags potentially, but this is still a very talented team. We'll see how it goes. I do want to mention about the Indians and the AL Central and, and the Royals who just won't go away. They're, they're still hanging around. But for the Indians, Joe, and this is where I put my fan hat on, you got to love Bradley Zimmer. I mean, the, the guy has just been incredible. And uh, another prospect find, another California kid, strangely enough, for there's be, there's become a takeover, especially in the American League, with some of these California kids. Yeah, man, he's been playing really well for the Indians too. And surprisingly, Lindor hasn't been mm-hmm. as good this year. But the guy who the guy who really is making that team mm-hmm. unstoppable is Jose Ramirez. He's yep. been so good. I stupidly traded him away in fantasy earlier Ooh, in the that's season, a bad call. but <laughs> I mean, I got some I got some people yeah. back. But would he you has make been that trade again? Would you best. make that trade again today? The same um, thing. <laughs> oh, you thinking not, about it? Okay. Was, it could have been that bad. I though. thought, you thought about, about it. it. I, yeah. I thought about it. I got some decent guys back, but he not. Nah, he has been a complete force to be reckoned with. Like he's put his name out there. Now people know who he is. He's their guy now. It's weird because you're right. Lindor's only Lindor's only hitting two seventy. This is the second straight year going into the playoffs where. I'm thinking, all right, they, they should. I mean, they're, they're, they should be a playoff team. That's stating the obvious, but they don't have the bats hitting at a high level going into the playoffs. But then again, they didn't really last year, and we saw what happened last year. So I'm not as worried. I feel like the timely hitting and the bats could wake up in the playoffs. I do wonder about that back end of that bullpen, and that was one thing they they traded for Joe Smith, who's there before, uh, and he can still pitch at a decent level. Nothing, nothing special, but. You know, I, I don't trust Shaw. Yeah. He blew the game against the White Sox. I feel like if Miller's not able to go two, three innings of pop to get to, to Cody Allen, who's had his ups and downs, that's the area of concern I have with this Indians team is as mediocre at times as their hitting is, I still worry more about that bullpen. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you there. I mean, it's just the starters are, are very good. And, you know, adding adding some, some pieces back in Carrasco and Salazar, if they can, you know, remain healthy. Kluber's still pitching at another worldly level. Miller is a giant X factor, but it all comes back to that. And I think you have a team like the Royals who has had success with a lot of their core. This race is going to be interesting in the AL Central. Um, I, the Royals right now are in possession of one of the wild card spots. And given how they played, Joe, it's probably fair to think they're going to stick around there to the very end. Yeah, I mean, it's totally possible for them to stick around. You never know, like, because it, say the Indians get bumped out of the, out of that lead and the Royals take the lead there, it's going to be a, a tough, tough uh, in in the wild card with the Yankees and 
the Rays and the Red Sox and everybody coming out of the East. So if you're an Indians fan or if you're a Royals fan, you're hoping that your team takes home the the division because you're not going to want to have to play one of those teams from the AL East in the wild card. Yeah, you, got, you got the Rays who are fighting as well, but um, Yankees, Red Sox both appear to be playoff bound as well. And, and that's where I want to kind of wrap this up. Yankees, Red Sox are a half game apart from each other. Yankees have the percentage tiebreaker. Red Sox have played a couple more games. But this is the first time in, in a while, right? It's, it's been a few years since uh, Yankees, Red Sox have both been this good. It's been the Red Sox. The Yankees have had a few years when the, when the Red Sox have been down recently. But you kind of have to think a little bit about when the last year was, when both these teams were fighting tooth and nail for the division. Yeah, absolutely. So I get to I get to hear from both fan bases, you know how good or bad it is, uh, each daily struggle, and I know how much a division title means for any fan base. But you gotta you gotta admit, Joe, as a Yankees fan, it feels a little better if you guys were able to top the Red Sox of all teams to win it. Getting in as a Yankees fan as a wild card, you're kind of like, all right, like come on, you guys should have you should have won the division. When they win the division, fans are mostly just like, all right, well they should have won the division, so now where's the series? <laughs> I'm like, I'm more of a totally different fan than that. I, I totally would be pumped either way, wild card or um, they win the division. But it is nice to know that you that the Yankees are better than the Red Sox at least at this very moment. If they if the Yankees win the division, it'll feel great. I'm not going to be like. Distraught about it in any way because then they're better than the Red Sox. Right, but if they if they <laughs> get farther than them in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I think you you forgot one point though about why you're a different fan because you didn't grow up in New York City. <laughs> you're, you're not yeah. you're not a you're not a Manhattanite that you know expects a certain level of uh, I'd call it a little entitlement, but it's no different than some of the the diehard Boston's fans as well. You're able to kind of look at it with a with a bigger picture. I think it's good for the game that both these two teams are, are back to somewhat of a level of prominence. Neither team is perfect. The Red Sox have some hitting issues as well. Persillo has just looked terrible this year. But a lot of talent on both of these rosters are pretty evenly matched, and we know it's going to go down uh, to the wire. Well, Joe Crisali, Money Mitch Effect, this was fun. Lastly, before I let you go, statistically-wise wise this season, I, I'm looking at who might be some potential MVP candidates who would you say right about now going into uh, August? You talked about Harper earlier. He's a tough one to argue uh, if he's going to get it in the NL and then the AL. Who do you think? I'm just going to precursor this with you asking a Yankees fan who okay. you think the MVP is. All right. So the AL, the AL you already know I'm going to say Aaron Judge. He's been an absolute monster as a rookie. Um, had I will say this, though. Had Mike Trout not gone down, he was hands down the MVP. Yeah. He was having the best season somehow of his career. Agreed. He went down for a month, month or two, and that kind of just faltered him off, and Judge just took off. Now, Judge has struggled a little bit lately, but he's still hitting bangers. He's still providing first team. So I think AL, Judge, NL, for me, it's a toss-up between Arenado and Harper. I mean, Harper has been unreal this year, so that's a tough call between those two guys. Yeah, I, I like Harper in the NL, just sensational um in the al i do want to give love to my boy who might be a finalist ramirez it's possible he's a top three guy this year judge is tough to judge is tough to go against but let's give credit to the little guy altuve leading the league in leading the league in average 368 that's probably who i would go with yeah. right now uh depending on how this ends and there's still a ton of time left uh correa was maybe a front runner at the time of his injury 
but the one guy I don't want to see win it, and it's not anybody I mentioned, but please just don't let Eric Hosmer win it, because I just hate his face. <laughs> <laughs> I don't just, think he's going to win. His numbers okay. aren't that good. Okay. I mean, I know he's hitting three twenty-three and, uh, you know, has, uh, I think, like 56 or 57 RBIs, but, yeah, he's the only guy. I, I think Judge is right up there. It's... Trout's Trout's injury, Correa's injury. The AL's as wide open as I can remember it, uh, top to bottom. So, I think there's a lot of baseball left to decide who wins it. Yeah, and I mean earlier in the year it was every team in the AL was four games out of the wild card. Obviously, that changed now, but that just shows you how down to the wire this is really going to go. Which is awesome because it happens pretty much every year that it goes down to the wire. But knowing that your team, your team, the Indians, and my team, the Yankees, are towards the top of that. It's great. I know. Could be another 2007 playoff matchup between those two teams who, for all the younger Indians yeah, or Yankees, <laughs> yeah, I know, I know that I'm brings watching, up a source. I'm not watching Grady Sizemore go deep off Jabba Chamberlain again. I'm just not watching that. We'll bring the midges. We'll bring the bugs out, you know, party like it's old times. Yeah. But it's funny because I don't think a lot of young kids remember or, or recognize the fact that the Indians and the Yankees had quite a rivalry in the 90s. It was mostly won by the Yankees, but the Indians got there a few times. I mean, you're talking, what, every World Series appearance in the AL from 95 to 2000, 2001? So, yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, right. <laughs> that's a lot of, uh, of, a lot of uh, matchups there. But, all right, Joe Crisali, thanks for coming on the show and uh, talking baseball. Hope to have you back soon on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, man. Thanks for having me. All right, big thanks to Joe Crisali for coming on today's Money Mitch Effect. He is a very, very stout baseball encyclopedia, I'd say. And even though he's a Yankees fan, I, I don't you know, hold it against him. So we'll see if our teams cross paths down the road. Big thanks to Joe again for coming on the program. All right, next up on the Money Mitch Effect, it's the return of Brett Connors. Brett absolutely nailed the Wimbledon men's final. Women's not so much, but we'll talk about what the hard court season the U.S. Open Series is going to mean for a lot of these players, Djokovic shutting it down, the Kyrie-LeBron drama when we switch to the NBA, a little football, a little golf, and some travel as well. It's Brett Connors. It's the Money Mitch Effect. A lot of passionate sports takes upcoming. Here it is now. All right, now joining us on the Money Mitch Effect, the only guy by my recognition and my recollection that successfully predicted the Wimbledon men's final to a T. Brett Connors back on the <laughs> show. Thanks for coming back on the Money Mitch Effect. Money, how are you, sir? I'm that good. I knew day, I had to uh, give you credit for that, though, because I know I know well, it's a it's a bold pick that you made. Not maybe Federer winning, but Chilich getting to a final. So hats off. Yeah, I mean, I think. I feel like we both kind of had a pick, dude. We both we both thought Fed was pretty unstoppable, and and Chilich with his draw, some of the guys on his side, it looked like it was a good opportunity for him to make a run. So yeah, I was like one off. I think I had him losing to like Murray or somebody in the semis, which lo and behold, you know, you run into that query buzzsaw. It's just tough to beat. <laughs> query two years in a row taking out the number one seed at Wimbledon it's pretty kind of crazy stat yeah it's uh you know and, and I don't want to rehash Wimbledon too much but I thought it was an interesting tournament I know Fed won pretty handily but all the drama it seemed to be on the way to the final on the men's side you know you had a lot of unpredictability 
before the most predictable thing, and that's Fed winning his eighth title. So I thought the Nadal-Mueller match, Murray going out early, all the drama with Djokovic that we'll get into in a second. It was an entertaining Wimbledon, just the final kind of stunk. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it almost seemed like for a while that it was an inevitability that Fed was going to get it, just with the way he's been playing so good and everyone else is kind of struggling and just things like the stars aligned for him to, to get number eight. So it was, it was cool. Yeah, yeah, and now we, we kind of go into a, an uncharted time as we talk a little tennis here on the Money Mitch Effect uh, with Brett Connors. It, it's interesting to me because last year we looked at this time of year as the Djokovic-Murray kind of inevitable showdown. Murray had just won Wimbledon and Djokovic was still at a very, very high level. But Murray battling injuries and then the bombshell that dropped last week, Brett Djokovic shutting it down for the season with that elbow injury I got to be honest, though. We knew he was banged up. We knew there was a lot going on with this guy on and off the court. But the first thing I thought about was the decision for him to play Eastbourne, a, a small tune-up before Wimbledon. That's the one part of this story, Brett, that doesn't make the most sense to me. Yeah, I mean, you know, I just don't think he's right, like mentally mm-hmm. right now. I think him playing Eastbourne with him a little bit, trying to force it, knowing that he hadn't played grass. and Usually he plays the Boodles. He didn't play it this year because he played these four, and I think, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, he won the tournament, but it's like, I don't know. It, well, it seems like he's just not right in his head. Yeah, and I just I think it's weird because of the injury. This wasn't a sudden injury that happened at Wimbledon. This is, by all accounts, just wear and tear on that elbow that had been going on that he even acknowledged months ago. So I thought it was strange to kind of add more miles when it's a guy in Djokovic that's won Wimbledon three times. But... He's not right in the head, and then when you see these injuries uh, mount up on the court, I think it's fair to wonder what the next version of Novak Djokovic is going to look like. I don't want to stay. I'm going to stop short at saying that he's you know done winning or playing at a high level because of all all the supreme talent he has. But he is over 30. He is dealing now with uh, a major injury. Maybe you know I would say one of the first major ones of his career. You think it's a fair question to wonder what Djokovic is going to look like in the next couple of years? Oh, definitely a fair question, but um, I'm not doubting him yet. You know what I mean? Like a year ago, he was. people were still, this was like a, literally a calendar year ago, people were saying he could be the best ever. Funny how fast that changes. Yeah, right? How much can change in a year? But I think it's a little bit like of a convenience, too. Like that elbow's probably been nagging him for a while. Maybe he didn't let on as much about it because he doesn't like to talk his injuries too much. And maybe it was just, you know, with everything going on going on in his life off the court and with his, you know, in his marriage, his personal life, all that stuff that everyone's kind of heard rumors about. Maybe this is just, you know, a good reason to just shut it down and kind of like, you know, take stock of where he's at in his life and kind of, you know, let let his elbow heal and, and, and work on his home life. And I know his wife's pregnant. She's due with the second, the second child, I think, later this year or early next year. So, you know, maybe this is just a good reason for him to kind of like, you know, clean slate, reevaluate everything, get healthy, and then come back for a strong 2018. Yeah, I think I think that's a good possibility with Djokovic, especially given how we've seen when guys take breaks now, Federer and Nadal instantly come to mind, that it might be good for them, especially as they approach their 30s. And let's just be honest, I, I don't know that the landscape out there, Federer and Nadal notwithstanding, is necessarily pushing guys like Djokovic or, or or guys in their 30s in general, to the wayside. There's still going to be a void in tennis that if Djokovic gets his head on straight, he's going to be able to fill. I think it's just that simple. 
Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it is like we talked before is like the generation or even two now after Djokovic, like the guys who are just 30 now, like Murray and him are just like 30. There's no guys that are immediately like in the eight years behind Djokovic that he's like really that scared of. You know what I mean? So even if he goes away for six months and comes back, like what? He's going to be scared of like Nishikori. You know what I mean? Or like Dimitrov, you know, like yeah. guys he knows he can beat and has a winning record against and who isn't, who aren't the most consistent themselves. I mean, watching what Fed's done this year has almost, you know, allowed Djokovic to, you know, worry less about taking the time off. You know, he's like, well, Fed takes it off. Fed's five years older than me, almost six years older than me. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he, they, these guys just have a mental edge, it looks like, over everybody younger than them. <laughs> like, Federer, the big four are four of the best players of all time. That's without saying. But when they play these matches, I mean, we both watch them, and you see it looks like these guys are afraid of the stage, oh, of yeah. the spotlight. And don't think that those guys don't know that and use that to their advantage like any crafty you know, veteran would. Oh, for sure. I mean, for sure. I mean, some of these guys, they go and they play on court, and then they go take a selfie with the guy after they get beat by him. You know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was that tournament a couple months ago. I mean, it was an exhibition, but still, like, you know, Isner lost to Federer in that Seattle thing, and then he's taking a selfie with him on court. It's just it's just a little weird, man. Like, you think, it's, especially in tennis, because it's such a um, confrontational sport, like one-on-one, that you think there'd be a little more, like, animosity, you know? Yeah. I don't know, just to, like, try and pump yourself up, and, like, you don't want to I mean, I wouldn't want to be friends with the guy I'm trying to go out there and, like, play for five hours and he's trying to beat me and so yeah they definitely have a mental edge you know it's funny you brought up isner because two u.s opens ago the last one that fed played he beat isner in the uh i think it was the, the round of 16 but what's funny about that match is that he wins a tie break with him a fed one i think he won that match in straight sets but one of the sets had an epic tiebreaker that fed won and it ends it goes down you know they're about to walk off the court for the bathroom break and Isner's patting Federer on the shoulder as he goes by him to go to the bathroom. Like, that just, that killed me. Like, I could not believe what I was seeing. And I don't think it's an era thing. I think it's just a, it's when having too much respect comes back to bite you. Like, at some point, you just have to compete and look at the other guy as the enemy. Yeah, and I mean, I think a lot of it, like, if you look at the old days, a lot of the older players <clears throat> in every sport would, like, never think to do that sort of thing. You know, like, the guys hated each other even when they were friends, like Magic and Bird, like, yeah, they're good friends off the court, but they probably hated each other when they played because, like, each, you know, the other guy's trying to take what they have, you know, trying to take something they got. So, you know, I think that's a little weird with the different era, and I also think it's because of the money. Like, everyone's making so much money, you know, that, like, someone makes a semifinal at a Grand Slam and then they lose the Fed, they got a great story to tell their grandkids, and they made, like, a million dollars to make the semis, you know, like... Yeah. So when you're when there's enough money to almost go around, it probably takes a little bit of the edge off. Whereas like when you were fighting for just one, you know, for one dollar, you know, back in the '60s, '70s, '80s, everybody was fighting to get that one dollar. So hey, man, this guy's trying to take take my livelihood away. You know? Yeah, no, it makes sense. I and I do want to want to know if you think it's uh, going to be a great labor cup with Federer and Nadal playing doubles against Milos Raonic and John Isner. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thriller. <laughs> that's gonna be that's gonna be a good uh, matchup. I think it's evenly matched. But no, I I see what you're saying. It's 
it's another era, and we hope Djokovic comes back because we just want to see good tennis, and we want to see who that next generation is going to be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like the guys like Zverev and that, those guys who are 18, 19, 20, I mean, they're going to be good, but it's still they're still not on that like level yet. Like, I mean, remember when Nadal came up and he was like 16, 17, and he had like no respect for the people he was playing? Yeah, beats fat, I mean, beats he's Agassi, like, yeah, like... yeah. But, I mean, he's going out there beating these guys who should probably beat him because he's this young teenager with no experience and blah, 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 blah. There's not a lot of guys like that now. I mean, right. you can say, like, Curios is like that, but only, like, 15% of the time, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that's why this hardcourt season, going to the U.S. Open and then beyond that, I mean, we'll see what happens with D.C., but two premier events coming up with Cincinnati and Toronto. I don't want to say that it's locks that Fed Nadal are going to win those tournaments. So you could have an opening with Murray still banged up. We're not sure, you know, what stand, what what shape Stan's going to be in. I think there could be a real opening for one of these young guys, another opening to really, you know, make an impact. For sure. I mean, there's definitely an opening. Murray somehow still being ranked one is crazy yeah. to me. Like, I mean, he hasn't had a very good year. He's almost a weirder side to me because, like, Djokovic has these issues that everyone's kind of heard about. If they're true, they make sense that his, that his head isn't maybe 100% in the tennis and da-da-da-da. But Murray, he's just not playing good. You know, I mean, they keep talking about shingles, but that was, like, six, seven months ago. And, like, I mean, I guess it's just still that that last year burnt him out and took a lot out of him. And I mean, I don't know, man. It's I just, mean, yeah, it's definitely an opening. He's got to be messed up because he won, what, one or two games total in the last two sets against Query, And we saw those sets. It was just – it was – Staggering how poor he looks. So I, I think it's a fitness, physical, you know, ailment sort of thing there. But you know, we'll see. And we always we always wrap it with the women's side when we talk tennis. I do want to say though, for as much as uh, we've kind of playfully bashed the women's game, it was nice to see Garbini Muguruza get back to the mountaintop. Who I didn't realize this hadn't even made a final of a tournament. You know, since she won the French Open over a year ago. So yeah, welcome back. Yeah, I mean it was. Yeah, it was cool. I mean, is she now going to bounce for a year and we won't hear from her till like, next year's U.S. Open? Is that, like, the pattern we're establishing or she just, you yeah. know, wins a slam you don't hear from her till the next slam the next year? But, I mean, it was cool. It was kind of weird because did you watch the match? Like, yeah. she looked, when she won, she was almost, like, she looked sleepy. She was, like, on the <laughs> sideline with the trophy. She looked like she was bored and, like, didn't want to be there. It was just weird, man. It was almost like she won, and she kind of couldn't believe how like easy it was that she just won Wimbledon. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know. And and Venus getting to the final is another thing you had kind of penciled in, expecting her to do well in this tournament. But I thought the match at the tournament, or at least for Murguruza's statement, I should say, was against Kerber in the uh, round of 16, I think. I think that went like 6-4 mm -hmm. in the third, and that was a slugfest. And I'm a big believer, especially on, on the women's side nowadays when it's not as deep. You get those battle tests early, especially in best of three, it can really propel you to go forward, and I think that's what happened. Muguruza winning that close match against a, a player, Kerber, that you know hadn't played her best tennis. I thought that set her up. Now, I don't know what's next for her. I don't know what's going to be next for you know Azarenka, if Kvitova can get back you know into shape, if she recovers. But there's always an opening on the women's side when Serena's not in a tournament. And Sharapova's another player that we're not sure if she's back to form. I don't know that I yeah. would be safe betting on anybody other than Muguruza going into the U.S. Open. I know she hasn't really had success there. But if I'm going to you know, have faith in anybody, I'm going to take the hot hand. And right now, at least, it's her. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I guess theoretically, yeah, if she's right and she knows how to like compartmentalize like her Wimbledon win and put it on the shelf and like now move on with like a new goal. I'm just not sure like some of these young players on both sides really, but like on the women's tour, like they have a little success or they win a tournament and then they disappear for a while. It's almost like they have a hangover, you know, like from their win, like they go out, they party, they live it up, you know, they feel themselves and then whoops, they go, you know, they get humbled in their next tournament and they have to like, you know, build themselves back up. I mean, I don't know. Halep is so frustrating. Halep should probably be like the co-favorite going into the open, which she probably will be. And it's just, she should be, you know, a top two or three candidate there, but it's just, you know, it just depends how she plays in those, those big moments. Man, I, I couldn't believe, I mean, it, it's it's sad to watch at times because of how much talent she has that she just consistently can't get it done on the big stage, and she's another one that could finish the year ranked number one. You got to like it when, in, if you're in the case of uh, Pliskova, gets the number one ranking after losing in the second round of a major. That's always nice. Yeah, yeah, that was a pretty bad call. I picked her to win Wimbledon, but uh, <laughs> I yeah, think that she, was just a little off. She got number um, one, though. She got number one. I, yeah, I don't yeah, know I if she'll so, keep yeah. it, but we'll see. She's got. <laughs> <I'm pretty> <laughs> she won Cincinnati last year. I don't know if she can do it again. But all right, Money Mitch Effect, Brett Connors. I do want to deviate from tennis for a second because we're big sports guys in general, and there's one story in particular i got to have your opinion on because it involves elite-level athletes and actually involves social media. Have you been keeping up with this uh, LeBron Kyrie Irving thing? This feud? This uh, petty feud? A little bit, yeah. I mean, I know that, that Kyrie opted out or asked him, you know, wants to trade out of Cleveland. And uh, I saw the uh, video of uh, Steph Curry at the, somebody's wedding, like Harrison Barnes' wedding, yeah. and, and Irving, and they were there, and they were making fun of LeBron's those workout videos he does. <laughs> so. It's funny to me in one sense, but it's also just your typical new age millennial fighting because you have yeah. these guys that I don't think have said a word to each other, but it's all being aired out on social media. And, and if you try to explain that to somebody that played or followed the game, you know, 20, 30 years ago, they'd probably have a tough time understanding that, you know, two grown men that obviously there's a disconnect and a difference there that's going out this way. So I just think in this day and age, Kyrie Irving is probably doing all he can to make LeBron pissed at him so that the team gets rid of him. That's my takeaway. Yeah. I guess from Kyrie's standpoint, he's looking at it like, I mean, first, he's already got a ring. So, like, no matter what happens the rest of his career, his career, you can never take that away from him. Mm-hmm. And, like, it doesn't seem like LeBron's that easy of a guy to, like, play with. Like, I mean, obviously, he's a great player. He's, like, the best player in the league. and He's, like, a freak. But... You know, he's so he's so me oriented and everything's about him and he has to have his way and he's the GM and he fires this guy and he hires Lou and like, you know, there's no guarantee that he's gonna stay through next year. Exactly. So, you know, Kyrie's looking at it like I'm not gonna let what happened, you know, next year, like six years ago when he went to Miami or whatever it was. So he's you know, he's being proactive and, and trying to make a better situation for himself, I guess. And I also think, I mean, you know, if, if you're in that locker room and you read some of the sub-tweets and you see, you know, p- comments where he says, I want to play with this guy or our team needs help in these areas, I mean, it just it's not fun. I mean, I, I know getting to the finals and people are like, Kyrie might be crazy. I mean, he's betting on himself, which, agree or not, I mean, you can never really take that away from a player that has confidence in themselves, but also just wanting to get out of LeBron's shadow. I, I do think the ring factor plays into it because if that wouldn't have been the case 
maybe he does say, I, I need, you know, I want to get that first championship that's saluting me. He doesn't have that worry. And also the fact that the Warriors just look to be this unstoppable mega team. If they really thought, if Kyrie really thought that the team was good enough, I don't think he opts out and wants to leave. I think it's also that simple, too. Yeah, and I think that, uh, I don't know if like Kyrie, in LeBron's eyes, is getting the love he deserved. Like, you know, like when they won a couple years ago, he's like, oh, Cleveland, this is for you, you know. <laughs> but like Irving, Kyrie won that title for him. I mean, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, shot, yeah. LeBron is obviously a beast, but I mean, in those those key moments in those games, that jumper he hit on Curry, I mean, they don't. he doesn't bring it home to Cleveland if it's not for Kyrie. Do you think this is going to approach Kobe Shaq level? I mean, I don't know if they're going to be able to trade him. And if they go to training camp and they have to be in the same room together for media day, I'm just trying to figure out where this is going to rank on teammates feuding with each other because right now Kobe Shaq is the gold standard. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird because that's it's a little reverse because Kobe was the younger guy, you know, and he was kind of trying to push Shaq out who was the older guy. Now this is like, you know, LeBron's way older and, and Kyrie's the guy who's got like more of his career ahead of him. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think at the end of the day, if they don't trade him, it's just like you go out and play basketball. I mean, LeBron is so lucky to play in the East. I mean, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of such a joke. Like, his career has been in the East, and it's like maybe, maybe one solid other team or something, you know? It's just like I almost laugh when they're like, oh, they got Toronto in the next round. Like, it's just like, stop. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, the Hawks got Atlanta. We got to watch out for Yeah, and then, and then like the media always tries to blow up these teams he plays. Like, oh, man, it's, you know, they got DeRozan. And, you know, it's like, no, no. Put him in the West. And, and I would love to see how he did on a team in the West. But he'll never do that because it, it won't be easy for him like it is in the East. Well, you know, it may happen depending on if he leaves. And that's the last point in all this is that, if he is going to leave, which it kind of looks like he is, and it looks like he's kind of painting this picture where he has an out, you know, he can. Nobody's been better at playing the media game in his era than LeBron. So now he's got this kind of built-in excuse with the Kyrie wanting to leave thing that you know, and, and Dan Gilbert, the ownership, kind of acting all crazy that he has an out, which is why I think it makes even more sense to trade Kyrie because Brett, he's the one asset they have. You could, in theory, get a good haul for him and maybe rebuild for the future, which. When LeBron leaves, it's going to be bleak for that franchise. For sure. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could definitely get something for Kyrie. It almost makes you wonder, like, they should have just, like, kept Wiggins, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, if they had just kept Wiggins and not gotten Kevin Love, then you still have LeBron, like a 22- or 3-year-old Wiggins, and whatever you got back for Kyrie, you'd still be, like, probably the best team in the East. But I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Well, I, I, I mean, do LeBron, wanna... LeBron's going to do something. He's going to leave. You know, he's going to do something. He'll blame someone else. He'll, he'll victimize and martyr himself until, like, oh, well, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have abandoned Cleveland. Like, you know, I mean, he'll, he can already see it. But... Yeah. I also I just know. think it's more interesting that, I mean, the, the Curry making fun of uh, LeBron workout video. Why are you working out and filming yourself all the time if you're a LeBron For sure. James? Like that, For that's sure. what I get to. But maybe it's I'm already weird enough. Yeah, it's, I mean, to me, it's already a little weird when people hand their phone to someone else at the gym and are like, film me doing this. I mean, that's kind of weird, too. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, aren't you just at the gym? Like, yeah, I don't know. And then you're sitting there always, like, rapping into the camera and, like, lifting and flexing. And you're like, dude, this guy's, like, 30-something. You know what I mean? I know. <laughs> He's not like a 22-year-old college kid. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, as, so, a, I mean, I, as a noted Suns fan, they're kind of emerging as the front runner for Kyrie, so 
maybe he'll yeah. uh, maybe he'll be joining your squad here. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, we uh, I like I like that we got like Jackson from Kansas. I think he's uh he's gonna be a stud, and then we got Booker and Bledsoe. And I mean, you know, it's the West, so it's such a hard field. But I like the way the songs are going. At least they're trying to make some moves. Yeah, if they can get Kyrie for Bledsoe and get a third team in there, maybe a draft pick, I'd try to hold on to Jackson. But a chance to get yeah, Kyrie, sure. and, and who knows, maybe he can do big things. It would be a similar-ish to adding a, a guy like Charles Barkley back in his day, an offensive beast that mm-hmm. just comes in his physical prime. So we'll have to yep. see there. Well, Brett Connors, Money Mitch Effect, I do want to switch sports again. And i got to get your take on something, because I know you dedicated a lot of your life to golf. And I have mm-hmm. to ask you, because I was out of town, out of the country for the uh, British Open, but the performance by Jordan Spieth, who won his third major, third different major, uh, under the age of 25, only Jack Nicholas has ever done that before. But the performance he had in that last round where he has a 13th hole, just a shot off the tee that was awful, as bad as it gets, he saves bogey and then birdies, I think, four of the last five holes. What are your thoughts on just this kid's mental makeup? Because you and I both know, you more than me, that golf is such a mental game. When I see stuff like this, the first thing I think about is how mentally tough you have to be to just overcome that and just <laughs> have the round of your life when the biggest stage is presenting itself. So I, I need your take on what Spieth did at the British Open. Um, yeah, man. I actually didn't see it live. I watched the, all the highlights and, 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 you know, read the articles about it. But, uh, I mean, it's definitely impressive. I mean, he's super talented, man. I don't follow the golf as much as I used to growing up. I feel like, you know, it's still fun and everything. It seems like it's just a lot of <laughs> the same guys who look the same with the same yeah. hats on. I mean, they all kind of, it seems like not many dudes have much personality out there. But it seems like this kid does. I mean, I don't know if you saw, like, a couple months ago, uh, he chipped in out of the bunker in the yeah. playoffs to, like, beat some beat somebody. And, he, you know, he jumped up and did, like, a big kind of, like, chest bump with his caddy. And, you know, that's, that's usually stuff that's saved for basketball, football, and, you know, and other sports. So it seems like he's, you know, he's kind of this younger generation who's bringing that into their game, which it, you know, which it needs for sure. I mean, he's amazing talent. He hits the ball a mile. And the fact that he's, everyone talks about the birdies, but it was, like, it was the bogey putt he saved. It was, you know, by by not letting that become a double or a triple bogey and just one, you know, just a bogey, those who play golf know if you can make no worse than bogey, then you probably won't get too hurt in a a round. And then to just bounce right back and birdie, you know, four of the last five and and snatch it away from Matt Kuchar, you know, who I like. He's he's a good guy. I I wouldn't have minded him winning either. He's a pretty steady, consistent player and seems like a nice dude, but... You know, that's kind of the difference. The guy, the flashy, the guys who are the stars are going to take it from the nice guys, like Kutcher. I Yeah, I just, and I never really played golf, um, but just seeing how tough it is mentally. I mean, how do you as a, as a former player and just, you know, somebody that understands the mechanics of it, I mean, is there that snowball effect at all times? I mean, it seems like one bad shot could ruin your entire day, and these guys are in speed saving his major chances before our eyes. So how do you as a golfer, prevent that from happening, or is there any ways to kind of just block that yeah. out? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's easy to say you can block it out, but, you know, like, what, the, what I remember when I was playing, I was always taught, like, it's not it's not 18 holes. They're not all together. It's, like, essentially 18 individual holes, you know. So one has nothing to do with what you do on two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So by doing that, you kind of break it up, 
and like, oh, shoot, you know, I had a double bogey on, you know, the second hole. Okay, drop it. And, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. anymore. Your focus is now the third hole. You know, yeah. so that's always easier said than done, though, because we're human and things affect us and we carry things over and we think about them. So that's what made it even more impressive is that he was able to just, you know, oh, screw it, I made bogey, let's go yeah. to the next hole and try and make a birdie. Yeah. Well, it looks good. His future looks bright. I, I do have to ask, though, were you a Tiger guy, though? Was that Were you one of those uh, Tiger fans? Yeah, man. I mean, I, I am now for sure. I kind of wish he would come back because he's, you know, my generation. He's a couple years older than me. And, I mean, I loved watching him play. I used to like watching him fill. And uh, I used to take some lessons from Tiger's, Tiger's coach when he was coming up. Uh, Butch Harmon is his oh, yeah. name. He's like one of the best coaches of yeah. all time. And, you know, uh, I definitely like that Tiger brought so much beside golf to the game. You know, he brought a whole new group of people and excitement and, you know, controversy and you know people didn't like them or people loved them it didn't matter you were going to watch either way and i don't know if there's if any of that really exists right now in golf you know like uh, there's you know some great players you know with steve and jordan uh, day and mcelroy but like if you shuffle those three guys up from 50 feet away i almost couldn't tell the difference you know what i mean like just the tiger stood out he was uh, African-American father and Asian mother, yeah. he, you know, brought those groups of people into it. He crossed over all these different, you know, lines, and you know, it was cool. He was the most famous athlete in the world, or at least the U.S., but def probably the world. I mean, when will oh, yeah. that ever happen again for a golfer? <laughs> so that's how I look at yeah. it. He had more appeal than anyone, and I wasn't the biggest fan of his, but I enjoyed watching him play. You know, I was a fan. I wouldn't yeah. say a diehard and I did like the competition because it wasn't always easy for him to win those majors. He had to gut a lot of those out. So, uh, yeah, I wish he'd be back. Yeah. But, you know, the, the younger generations look good. Yeah. But but I, I do want to hear, <laughs> in light of the movie that's coming out, in light of the uh, the Battle of the Sexes movie, I do want to hear that story again of you had golfed before with the late Bobby Riggs. <laughs> what was, oh, the Bobby Riggs story. Yeah, what was yeah, the man. trick he used to pull? On, uh, on you guys in terms of giving you, like, or saying that he gets a free throw, I should say. Oh, yeah. So, uh, so Bobby Riggs, like, you know, famous tennis player, also also known probably just as much for his gambling prowess as, I'd say uh, that's fair. as, his, as his tennis. Um, so, yeah, he was a big-time golfer uh, playing one time, and uh, the guy he was playing with was, you know, way better scratch golfer, you know, plus two handicap and rigs, you know, it was definitely not a scratch golfer, you know, it was good, but not, not that good. And, uh, you know, everyone's making their bets on the first tee, you know, I want this many shots. I want that many shots. And, and then, so finally rigs and this other guy, you know, talking about their game. And, uh, so the guy said, how many shots, you know, do you want Bobby? And, uh, Bobby's like, Oh no, I, I don't want any, uh, I don't want any shots. All I want is a one, one throw a hole. He's like, well, what do you mean, one throw? He's like, well, yeah, just one time for a hole, I can I can pick the ball up and I can throw it, you know, as far or as short as I want. And the guy's like, well, that's it? That's, you know, how far can you really throw it? I mean, you know, 20, 30 yards or, you know, 50 yards at the most, uh, and it's not going to be accurate. Yeah, sure, you know, whatever, you know, bet. And then they bet however they're going to do, you know, per hole, and a lot of money, more money than I, was, than I had. And uh, so everyone tees off, Bobby hits it in the trees, the other guy hits it down the middle. The guy hits it on the green. Bobby's like in the sand trap, you know, struggling. Hits, you know, chunks one in the sand trap, hits the next one out, and the guy's just sitting there smiling, kind of like looking over, like, you know, this is going to be easy. 
<laughs> and so Bobby gets up on Bobby walks up on the green, marks his ball, and walks over to the other guy He's standing there looking over his putt, picks up the other guy's ball, throws it into the water in front of the green. <laughs> <laughs> And the guy's looking at him like, what, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Bobby said, you never specified who's, you know, whose ball. Uh, <laughs> you know, we never, we, never, uh, we never said whose ball I could throw. That's great. So by that time, the bet was made. And like on every hole, you know, he could just go over, pick the guy's ball up, toss it out of bounds, throw it in the bunker, throw it in the water, you know, <laughs> do whatever he wanted. That's great. That is, uh, that's pulling a fast one over. That's a guy that's, uh, that knows the ins and outs about golf and gambling. So <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so if, if you ever would have made a bet with them, you should probably get it in uh, in writing just so you have all the details <laughs> figured <Yeah>. out. <laughs> hey, you know what? It's a big time for tennis movies, uh, so we'll see if they do a good job with that. Right? I know it's tough. And I, the Borg, I guess McEnroe they, one, too. I, yeah, I guess they turned Shia LaBeouf backwards because we saw those images where he was playing righty, so I guess they mm-hmm. just kind of flipped it. I, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how they go, but... LaBeouf with LaBeouf oh. with some positive PR going into the movie, <laughs> getting arrested a couple weeks ago. And hey, that's a standard. That's a standard week for him. That's like a, a solid Tuesday for Shia LaBeouf. Yeah, um, yeah just up in the street cred. <laughs> yeah, totally. Before I let you go, I got to get your thought. I know you're excited for football season, and and I know you're excited for fantasy football season. But is it time for the Dolphins to get to the playoffs? Are we are we there yet? Uh, I mean, they made it last year. Like they yeah. made it, they lost that playoff weekend. Yeah, I should uh, say like a playoff weekend. run, not I guess yeah. two playoffs, but a win. Yeah, a win. Yeah. yeah. I don't know, man. Like I say, that almost feel like I say the same things every year. But like we have pretty good talent. Like it just it's all going to come down to Tannehill. And it's just it is what it is. Everything comes down to your quarterback in football eventually. Like, but I mean, we have a good running back. The Jai made the Super, uh, the Pro Bowl last year. We got Landry and Parker and Stills, so we have three solid wide receivers. We picked up Julius Thomas from Jacksonville for uh, for an offensive lineman who just retired. So essentially, we got him for free. Um, and the defense drafted pretty good. I mean, you know, I think we're solid, but we're in the division with the Patriots. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what it always comes if, back uh, to. Yeah, if we played in the Le- in the LeBron James. Uh, style division and we probably win it every year but you know can't can't ask for that um i I don't know man we could get a wild card the patriots will be good and then you know i think we're in kind of that second second third tier kind of like of good teams where you know we could win nine ten games maybe make a playoff and if we don't get somebody great in the first round we could do a little damage the way the nfl works you get four teams you know between two and four teams every year that don't make the playoffs the following year so I think it's yep. fair to yeah. to question if the Dolphins can get back there and, and maybe build on it, especially given their division. But we'll see. Yeah. I just don't want to see any major injuries in training camp, you know. And as I say that, we were yeah. I was looking today, and a guy got you know went to the concussion protocol. <laughs> so yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I know. So, <laughs> At least it's kind of early, still so yeah. a month to get better. But yeah, man, that's I don't unfortunate know. part of it. You have all these uh, you know ACL tears early, you know, some injuries. I saw Sterling Shepard went down this morning. So and Will Fuller broke his collarbone, man. It's that's already happening. So, or what about the poor Chargers, man? Like, can Philip yeah. Rivers get a wide receiver who stays healthy for like three weeks, <laughs> and he still puts up kind of monster numbers? Like, I, I'm not a huge Charger or Philip Rivers fan, but like the dude throws for four, you know, four thousand yards every year with like his fourth string wide receivers. <laughs> it's incredible, and uh, yeah, Keenan Allen always has a good game and a half every year, and then gets injured. 
Yeah. Gates is still Mike just Williams. chugging along. Yeah, but yeah, they need they need to figure it out. And I know well, we'll see. I mean, there may be some Philly West days in our uh, future. You know that epic Browns oh, yeah. Dolphins sure. game last year. Their entire bar, we were I think the only two people that were watching it. <laughs> I cared about it. It went into <laughs> overtime, but you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and I do have to I do have to, uh, to share one personal story with you. Coming back from vacation at, in the islands at St. Bart's, oh yeah, I think I'm on Team Snorkel now. I'm a fan. Yeah, I, this was the first time I really got a chance to to do it in, in a great area to see stuff, and it was just great. You know, a lot of time out there, and I know you're the expert, but I think snorkeling won me over this trip. <laughs> Not an expert, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. man, I, I saw the pictures. Dude, it looks like you had a blast down there. I was. I was super, uh, super jealous, man. It looked like the water. I just wanted to go and just swim around for days. Just clear. But, yeah, snorkeling is great. Snorkeling is great, man. Scuba diving, I haven't done it in a while, but I was, uh, I think I was talking to you, thinking about maybe getting certified scuba diving. Oh, yeah. You know, so if you wanted to do that, because you can do it right here in L.A. or whatever, but yeah. then, you know, gives you something else you can do when you travel, another activity. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it'd be it'd be something good. And I know that before i let you go here brett connor's money mitch effect we're gonna try to get the squad together you know make a run down to vegas who knows i mean there's a lot of boxing and ufc fights there so maybe one of those weekends yeah, yeah man yeah. i'm down we'll see if that may be at the end of the month or something you got mayweather mcgregor i know uh jones just fought and i know you saw that i know you saw the highlights of that fight but we're yeah. in the era of yeah. maybe the greatest ufc fighter ever if he can just not get arrested <laughs> Seriously, dude. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fan of watching him fight, but he seems like he's kind of a douche a little bit. But you know, even in the pre, like in the lead up to it, and he's like saying Cormier uh, looks like a crackhead, and you're like, my man, you're a crackhead. <laughs> <laughs> you were caught with crack last year or whatever. Like, yeah. never, never say those words out of your mouth. There's a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of just garbage that gets said. It fight buildups, and I get why people do, even with Mayweather McGregor, you want to, you know, sell tickets. Yeah. But I'm not yeah. personally a fan of that either. Anytime you get kicked in the face like that, I know Joe Rogan got a lot of uh, criticism for, you know, how he handled the post-fight interview. Yeah. I, I just never really been a fan of. I mean, could you imagine someone talk, trying to talk to you after you've gotten kicked in the head and knocked temporarily unconscious? Just never really. Sure, yeah, for right. sure. <laughs> Or, like, even, like, just think about, like, when you first wake up in the morning, like, when you come out of, like, you know, unconsciousness, like, you know, and trying to answer questions right away about something, like, that was a little, I saw that he had issued an apology saying that, you know, he's never really done that, he, you know, he got caught up in the moment, but that's still a little, I don't know, he could have avoided it, I guess. Yeah, well, everybody, I think he understood his mistake, but it was a good, uh, good performance by Jones, and, uh, yeah, it was something else to get through the summer with us, I know. It's baseball season, but hey, you know what? And lastly, eleven month, eleven years, I should say, we'll have to pre-order our Olympic tickets. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> Good tickets still available. First thing um, that anybody said was how bad traffic's going to be. That's LA's legacy. <laughs> yeah, of course, man. I mean, it's already bad, and there's no Olympics here now. I actually uh, went to the last Olympics in LA when I was a little kid, and I went to. Um, the gymnastics with my parents at UCLA and like saw I think it was like Mary Lou Retton was there oh, yeah. and stuff and she ended up going on to win the gold so that was cool well Olympics but are fun I don't know if <laughs> yeah if we're still around if we're still here if we're you know who knows yeah. what the future holds but 
All right, this was fun, Brett Connors. It's a blast, and uh, you know, happy belated day after birthday. Another another Thank year you, in the books, and uh, I made it. Yeah, you made it. I mean, that's the thing, you know, a new new year, new year. So I, I don't know what the resolution yeah. is, but I'm sure it's uh, it's something fun and responsible. And we'll be seeing each other around the uh, the tennis circuit in the near future. Oh yeah, man. Next week uh, is it Canada? It's next week. Yeah, Rogers Montreal. Talk. Oh yeah. Yeah, Rogers Cup. Getting ready. So for... we'll be in there. Uh, we'll be in there cranking it out for that. So that'll be fun. It'll be good to see the first major hard court. Uh, tournament of the summer get to that masters 1000 level all right brett connors thanks again for coming on the money mr peck thanks money thanks for having me it's always a blast and uh, i'll see you soon all right that's it for today's episode of the money mitch effect Thanks again to Joe Crisali and Brett Connors for taking time out of their days to appear on the show. And thanks to everybody out there for listening. Big thanks again to Tim Adams for supplying the beats and Brian Nelson for supplying the logo. A reminder that you can find every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play by just searching Money Mitch Effect. And I am on Twitter at MoneyMitchM21 for sports and other takes. Maybe even some travel pictures in there as well now that I'm trying to get to world traveler and snorkeler status. But thanks again for listening. And uh, it's too bad that we recorded baseball, uh, the talk with Joe, uh, before Austin Jackson made the catch of a lifetime. I know the Indians are on the verge of getting swept by the Red Sox, and that's no fun, but Austin Jackson catch of uh, the year for sure, maybe even more than that. And the late-breaking news of Stan Wawrinka not being in Montreal or Cincinnati, his U.S. Open defense. He's got a little bit of a roadblock, a little bit of a, a rocky start for him, but uh, all things considered, it should be a fun tennis season as well. If you like the show, leave a review, subscribe on iTunes. Or don't, you know, whatever floats your boat. But I am Mitch Michaels. Thanks again for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. And until next time, I hope that you please enjoy sports. I'll see you later.